I'm Jordan Jones, editor of Latin America Reports. Welcome to our podcast, where we will be discussing Latin American stories for a global audience. Today, we'll be talking about women working in the field of STEM. That's science, technology, engineering, and mathematics in Latin America. We'll also give you a roundup of the most interesting stories of the month. This is Latin America Reports. As a media partner for the recent MIT Technology Review Innovators Under 35 event hosted in Mexico City, Latin America Reports has covered the nominations and prize winners from throughout the region. In honor of the International Day of Women and Girls in Science earlier this month, journalist Sophie Foggen interviewed two of the award winners from Guatemala and Argentina for a piece she wrote about the lack of support for women in STEM in Latin America. And today, we're going to speak to another one of the winners, Marcela Torres. Torres is the former CEO of OlaCode, a Mexican social enterprise which provides software development training for refugees and migrants who have returned to Mexico after having lived in the United States. She was recently named winner of the entrepreneur category in the list of Latin America's top innovators under the age of 35, which is published by MIT Tech Review. Hey Marcela, thanks so much for offering to chat to us today. Thank you so much for having me. It's, it's a pleasure. So first of all, we want to hear about you. We want to know about your background. Do you have a background in STEM? And if so, what interests you about it? So I actually don't have an official background in STEM. Um, and I say official as in traditional education. And I have a very sort of like, you know, one of those stories uh, that when I went to the university that I received a scholarship from, I was really interested in joining the engineering department and I encountered someone who worked in the physics department and it was this professor. And when he saw me there, he, he had this notebook and he had this like physics sort of equation and he was like, can you solve this? And I looked at it and I just sort of panicked and I was like, no, uh, but I am hoping that by joining the program, I might be able to. And he looked at me and he goes like, oh, my God, you're going to lose your scholarship. So you might as well go and check out the humanities or social sciences fair. So I ended up studying um, social sciences as, you know, for my undergrad and also for my um, master's. And I always had this interest in, you know, not specifically STEM, but um, web development. And it just became sort of part of like this sort of kind of hobby thing that I was doing and it was just something that never really went away until I decided to just like really focus and le learn an entire programming language, which was JavaScript. And then afterwards, my life changed a lot. Did you teach yourself JavaScript? Yes. Um, so I just I, I sort of went online and I, I was like, OK, I know some HTML, a little bit of CSS. So I'm going to perfection it. And I finished an online course very quickly. And it suggested me like, oh, you can start now your career in JavaScript. And I was like, OK. And JavaScript uh, is still one of, one of the most demanded programming languages in the world. You founded Ola Code in 2017. So you've been in the industry for a while. I wanted to ask you what it was like being a female CEO in the tech industry. <laughs> it was like choosing life mode on difficult extreme on purpose you know being a ceo period of a startup it's 
probably the worst job in the world and I'm not saying that to discourage anyone because at the same time it's just it's it's just a, such a crazy and good experience that if you if, if anyone has the opportunity and the privilege to do it because it does require some privilege then it's, it's a fascinating thing to do but it is worldly famous to be a position that it's extremely difficult and for a woman and especially in Latin America, you know, you just add a new layer of difficulty. So you're you're in this process of trying to understand the position, trying to do it, trying to acquire the skills that it requires. It also does, you know, give you a lot of sense of um, imposter syndrome. So I, I used to have, like find myself very often thinking like, oh, my God, they're finally going to discover that I'm really, really bad at this. And I was just like every day living that, you know, crazy reality that it wasn't what it was actually happening. But then the world outside of, you know, what you're thinking also tells you that narrative that you're not not enough and that you can't do it. And that's, you know, when you go out to fundraise for your company and there's very, people can be very direct and people that can be very subtle. So there's the directness of, you know, I've even had questions asking me whether I'm thinking about getting pregnant, which I think it should be totally illegal to be asking those questions in 2020. But, you know, that sort of thing happened to me. Two more subtle things that were more like, but yeah, are you really qualified to do this? Um, would you be open to, you know, step down from the position and have someone with more years of experience in the job for the sake of the growth of your company? And you're sitting there thinking like, oh, yeah, maybe I need someone that is way more qualified than me. And then you go home and you, you know, you're destroyed. You, you feel like crying and everything. And then you realize like, wait, wait a minute. I actually started this company. I actually designed all of this. So there's no one else that is more qualified than me to do it rather than myself. So talking of the MIT Prize Awards, there was kind of a big gender imbalance in the prize winners. Did you see the same gender imbalance reflect in the people who applied to take part in Ola Code? I mean, how big were women as a part of the programme? Obviously, with the female CEO, it's, you're setting like a great image for the company. But did you see that reflect in the gender of the applicants? No, it's very sad. I think it's a it's a challenge that I'm I think I'm not alone in trying to understand the puzzle. And I think there's plenty of organizations out there trying to make really big efforts to change this. I think one of the reasons and I it's funny enough because I lately I've been engaged in a lot of things with young girls. And I had a very interesting sort of like lecture with uh, girls that were between the ages of nine to twelve, and the way technology is presented to them, it's presented in a in a narrative that is just very specific. You know, we play this game around. Okay, if I say these words, can you draw or tell me what are, what comes to your mind? So we we played with the word technology a lot, and it was rockets and you know like scientific things that. In a way, you know, you can see them in clothing for boys or it's very gendered. I, I, I started having conversations with, with, this, with this group of girls that I had this lecture with about other things that I've seen that are created with technology. And I gave them an example. I, I, I told them about, you know, different ways of creating makeup, um, different color palettes with different algorithms, created the word artificial intelligence. And everyone just looked at me like, oh, 
so I can do that. And I was like, yeah, absolutely. And then I tried to move on to a different subject that was like less gender biased. And then we started talking about food. Food is universal, right? We all eat it and it has no gender, like social constructions around it. And it was really interesting because afterwards, every single girl was really interested in having a conversation about technology. And then after that, we wrote our first line of code and everyone was super excited. But we do have to acknowledge that women today um, have a lot of responsibilities in the household. And there's a lot of different sort of types of things that we do as part of society members that is expected from us that can take away our opportunities to network or study a little bit more in the evenings and learn and acquire new skills. So that that is a real challenge that women today face. And then we have also the entire conversation that I was just sort of trying to tap into, which is, you know, how we start creating these social constructions and cultural, you know, narratives around what creating technology means and for who it is. It's interesting you say about creating narratives. Do you think that in particular in Latin America, those narratives exist less than in other parts of the world? I I think they exist more. In Latin America, we're still fighting for a lot of basic rights for women's equality. And I also think that it's a very difficult conversation to be had because there's a lot of women that we still have internalized a lot of these cultural messages and we recreate them towards other women. There's judgment of women that are not home taking care of their children or taking care of their families. And, you know, some of the cities in Latin American capitals might feel very contemporary and, you know, somewhat international, like, you know, Mexico City and Bogota. And even in those cities, there's this sort of like subculture towards women. But if you get out of those big metropolitan cities, it it can get a little bit worse. I spoke to two other winners. It was Barbara and Maria from Guatemala. And both of them said their biggest difficulties were the support, the lack of support networks and the lack of role models. They also mentioned funding was also a difficulty, but the main thing they spoke about was the support networks. So I wondered what you think it would mean if there were more female role models to help and guide you. What would it mean for young girls? And did you experience similar sort of problems, I guess? I I absolutely agree with them. I think my decision-making process and a lot of the early-on mistakes that I did that caused a lot of repercussions in the future that, you know, eventually catch up with you were because I was lacking that mentorship and that guidance of someone that had already walked my path and could have pointed out this is going to be an issue. I did have access somewhat to some type of mentors, but... There is a lot to be said that the people that are mentoring you, if they're not a woman or if they're not part of an underrepresented community, their guidance, their mentorship or whatever it is that they have to say to you has a certain type of limitation of what it does imply for you. You know, you talk to mentors and they're like, yeah, of course, just do it. Take a risk. But if you think about it and you're a woman and or you have some like young children, because I know some amazing entrepreneurs that have like young children. And they're like, well, I just don't understand why this mentor tells me like to risk it all because like I don't want my children to not be fed for weeks. There's obviously this like lack of 
good quality mentorship by people that look like us and have had experiences like us. And that, in my particular case, has caused a lot of damage to a lot of my personal path. That, that lack of like support networks and mentorship from a very early stage on. And of course, access to funding. I mean, that is widely documented how unevenly it, the access to capital to women is distributed in comparison to men as soon as you you present yourself as the women CEO and even if you have a co-founder who's a male it already comes as this like well why isn't isn't he the CEO but if you're a woman and you know 73 investment funds have rejected your project and only one says yes and those are the conditions then it's very hard for you to be like okay, um, I'm going to say no to this because it's unacceptable because otherwise then you don't have the opportunity to grow. You've talked about meeting with the younger girls and kind of teaching them about algorithms and um, teaching them their first line of code. Do you consider yourself a role model for young girls wanting to work in STEM? I don't know. That's a lot of pressure because I'm like, I am an imperfect human. But if it does help by to say that I am an imperfect human, and it does release some angst and, you know, pressure and anxiety for someone who's younger than me and trying to do something, then that's fine with me. As long as I'm not held to standards that I am never going to be able to meet. It is a crazy race. And I think it does put a lot of pressure on women who are trying to enter the sector because one, we come with a, 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 some sort of deficit, like a lot of us didn't go to university to study that traditionally. We're self-taught or if we do go to university, we don't have the same type of, you know, friendships or, or mentorships that, you know, men normally have when they go to uni and they bond very well with their professors and all these things. And then you enter an office space and everyone in the office looks different to you and you're the only female engineer in the team and then you're like oh my god how are we going to navigate this and then on top of that everyone because you're the only woman there expects you to be absolutely perfect I know that the challenge that we have as women in the sector is not that easy but at the same time if we just start acknowledging that we're you know trying our absolute best and we came into the if we want to call it a marathon perhaps an hour later with the wrong type of shoes and we didn't have access to a coach I mean I think it's kind of like fair enough to say like oh you know we we were able to manage one kilometer today I think that's okay and we should you know be more aware of that sort of imbalances and you know be proud of it even if we just managed to walk half a kilometer one day that's a great analogy um yeah. So tell us about your plans now Now you've left Ola Code. What are you thinking of doing for the future? So I personally love education because I've seen it through Ola Code, the, the power that, you know, education has. I also see that there's a lot of opportunities across Latin America to talk about more digital skills and transforming our own futures through it. Because what I'm seeing right now is that we have a region that consumes a lot of technology we're becoming you know the consumers of technology but we're not the creators of technology and what's happening is that we're consuming technology that is not designed for us so we're adapting to someone else's narrative and reality 
So my, my questions at the moment is, what would happen to the region if we focus our energy or, or if I focus my personal energy on transforming that and helping people create technology and create it under their own perspective and their own narrative? I'm still going to try and figure out what, what does that mean in concrete, but I, I really love this subject and I, I really want to get more involved in the rest of Latin America. Thanks so much for your time, Marcella. Sophie, do you want to tell us what we're watching this month? At the beginning of the month, armed military officers in El Salvador entered the country's legislative chamber alongside President Nayib Bukele in a show of authority to put pressure on legislators who were voting on whether or not to pass Bukele's proposed loan for security forces. The president is asking for a $109 million loan to better equip the Salvadoran security forces, which include members of the military, to fight crime. The emergency session, which only took place because the president invoked an article of the country's constitution, prompted the opposition to label Bukele's actions as resemblant of those of a dictator. In Mexico, protests over violence against women have reached a heightened level of intensity after the country's recent reports of the violent killings of a young woman and a seven-year-old girl. Demonstrators, who have primarily gathered in Mexico City, have aimed their frustrations at President Andrés Manuel López Obrador, who claims the issue of femicide has been manipulated by the media. Critics of the left-leaning president say his response to the rising levels of gender-based violence has not been good enough. In 2019, the Mexican government reported 1,006 incidents of femicide in total, which marks a 10% increase from the previous year. In Colombia, the country over 1.6 million Venezuelans now call home, the strain of migration from its neighbour, which has been consistently high since 2015, is beginning to show more than ever. The number of migrants entering the country rises by around 3,000 each day, according to the UN, which adds tension to some of Colombia's most pressing issues, such as the actions of dissident, left-wing or paramilitary groups who do not feel that the conditions of the 2016 peace accord are being met. More sporadic incidents of xenophobia are also being reported and a Gallup poll conducted last December revealed that 69% of Colombians now have an unfavourable impression of Venezuelan arrivals, the Financial Times reported. To read Sophie's article on women in STEM in Latin America, please visit our website latinamericareports.com and follow us on Twitter and Facebook. That's all we've got for this month. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.